Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, it's that time of year again. We're getting hyped. It's football season, and it's time now for our annual UCF Football Roundtable. I have assembled some of the best to cover and talk about UCF for this podcast once again this year. By the way, this is our fifth one. I cannot believe time has flown by that much. We actually did a sixth one because in the COVID year we did uh, did one because we were dying to have something to talk about in the you know in the month of April. So anyway, I digress, and we are underway with the program. So let me introduce our roundtable cast. We will start first from the Sons of UCF. Here is Adam Eaton. Hello, Adam. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on again this year. It's always football time when I get to see your smiling faces in these little Zoom boxes. Can't wait to can't wait for football to get kicked off. Can't wait to talk to y'all tonight. Yeah, got the got the Brady box uh, the Brady bunch box going on here. So, up next from UCSSports.com and who I like to call the Godfather covering UCF in the digital age, we welcome Brandon Hillick. Hello, Brandon. Oh. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Uh, I, I feel like we've done these forever. I'm trying to remember how long it was. So you say it's five years. So I guess that's how long it's been. It's always a, a, an honor to, to be on with this panel. Yeah, appreciate that. And from the Black and Gold Bannerets, we say hello to Elo Eric Lopez. Pleasure to uh, talk to UCF football. I'm just glad football's here. That means if we're getting together, that means football has, has arrived. Yes, that's always a great sign of that. And from the Orlando Sentinel, we uh, welcome back once again Jason Beatty. Before he goes full tilt into the as the beat writer for the Orlando Magic, we uh, we drag Jason in one last time to uh, give us his thoughts on the upcoming season. Jason, good to have you here. Yeah, I just couldn't uh, say no to a fifth or sixth time. I mean, I just had to keep coming back, so yeah. I'm happy to be on one more time. Yes, I think I think you're fully vested at five, so that's uh, yeah. so, so you, you you're in for the full plan. So it's all good there. All right, so I'm going to uh, roll out for our panel a few questions. We'll bat that around a little bit and give you a good preview of what we think the football season is going to look like for the Knights this year. So we will start with our first topic, and that is to describe your overall impression as UCF enters a new era as a Big Twelve member. Adam, you're first. A lot of pressure going first here. I mean, look, my impression is obviously a ton of excitement for everybody. I think this is uh, something that's been decades in the making. So to to be on the precipice now of starting on this new journey, I think, is is a lot of excitement. I think if you're a fan, this is what you've been waiting for, right? You've always talked about we got to play at the big boy level, and now we're at the power five, although I'm not sure what that means anymore because conferences are imploding by the day. Uh, But I think if you're a fan, you're really excited about where this is. If you're UCF, this is your time to capitalize. This is your time to sort of – Gonna put your money where your mouth is. We've said for a long time we belong at this level, we belong in this stage, and now we have that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how how not just teams do overall, but how does the entire athletic department, how's the entire school adapt to now being part of this conference? Are there going to be changes made to a lot of different things infrastructurally? I know we're here to talk about you know the gridiron and the uh, the hundred yard football field, but I think there's a lot of things UCF you know has the opportunity to do in the next couple of years if they really want to make their stand with the Big Twelve. And lastly, I think you got to be optimistic, right? I mean, this feels like a team that's got some depth. You look at the roster, you feel like this is a year right here where they've got a lot of talent. They got some depth. They've got some pieces. You know, can they do that, you know, usual UCF thing and make a run in their first year at a conference? I think there's optimism there. I, I do want to 
squad a little bit. This is this is a tougher league, but I think there's optimism that maybe we can compete on the field. So I think this is a nice, uh, exciting time to be a, a UCF Knight fan, a UCF Knight player. Uh, but I still think there's a lot of work ahead, and I'd love to see how UCF capitalizes on this opportunity. Brandon. Yeah, um, this is uh, – I've been trying to, to kind of think about, you know, if there's a, a comparable season – you know, in terms of anticipation, and and obviously this is this probably takes the cake. 2007 is the one that comes to mind when UCF opened up the on-campus stadium. Just the, you know, just just one, just all off-season. It was just you know, what's it going to be like to attend a game on campus? What's the stadium going to be like? What's the vibe going to be? You know, you knew it was opening up with Texas. You know, that's the only thing I can kind of really compare this to. Um, I think it's going to be one of those things when that that first game gets here um i know yusuf goes on the road uh you know for the opener at, at kansas state the big 12 and we're moving in that first home game you know baylor the following week when that one's here i just I just kind of curious you know what my you know what that what that's gonna feel like i mean just kind of pinch yourself because anyone who's followed ucf for any length of time knows that this was always the the goal you know you always wanted to be perceived of playing you know, big time college football, whatever that highest level would be. And and even though UCF was was winning, obviously been tremendously successful with conference championships and conference USA, American Athletic Conference, you know, there was always that rub like, oh no, but you're non-BCS or your group of five, you know, you're not playing big boy football, you know, and the annoyances of, you know, the undefeated run in 17 and 18 and just kind of how UCF success was being dismissed because they they weren't, you know, perceived to be playing at that level. So the fact that, you know, you, you look at ESPN.com today and there's a, you know, big 12 preview and UCF, you know, or power five team, you know, there's the, the, the level of coverage and the national attention that you get in that league is just something that, you know, I'm still that it doesn't even still feel totally real to me. And I don't think it will be in, until that first game is here. Eric. Well, it's kind of full circle. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I met Brandon, 22 years ago. I think this upcoming September, Brandon, it's going to be 22 years since we met at Death Valley in Clemson uh, on the field in the pregame when UCF as an independent was trying to uh, slow down uh, Heisman f- candidate Woody Danzler and uh, Clemson with Tommy uh, with uh, Bowden as the head coach. One of the Bowdens, Terry Bowden. It was the, uh, no, Tommy Bowden was the head coach. Terry was the Auburn at the time. And it's funny, I mean, that was an independent era when UCF was just trying to find, you know, remember September would always be these marquee games every week on the road. You know, there was that one year where they go to Georgia Tech and go to Georgia and host Purdue. And we're kind of seeing that now in the Big 12. But, it, you know, it, from the standpoint in conference, like, wow, you're going to go to this place. You know, it's like a new carpet. Um, and I think there's excitement from the fans. I think there's uh, uh, intrigue, not just in football, but all sports. I mean, I can tell you volleyball has sold out the most season tickets it's ever has. Uh, basketball selling ticket football. I think it sold out what three games already at home, if I'm not mistaken, or at least close to it. And, and they might sell out more. Uh, so just the intrigue, the, the excitement, the newness of it, uh, is exciting. I think that this is the kind of the moment, like Brandon mentioned, is kind of a lot of UCF people internally have been shooting for, and now they've arrived here and, I think it's intriguing to see finally, too, after this kind of little debate over the last six years with some of the national media and UCF, does UCF, can they hang with the big teams and all that? We'll we'll get some answers uh, starting this year. By the way, Eric, I was at that Clemson game, too. That really? We were talking about, yeah, that was one of the, yeah, and I went to Georgia Good Tech in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And UCF hung in that game for quite a while. Yeah. 
Alex wasn't Higgins. the difference the fake field goal and it wasn't yes. Jeff Scott the holder? Yes, yes. that kind of yes. that executed that play, and that was Correct. the difference of the game. Yeah. It was a much lower scoring game than people thought. We thought it'd be a shootout, but it was twenty-one, I think, thirteen. UCF actually with uh, Gene Chizik, defensive coordinator, did it. They did a good job there defensively. They just, uh, but you're right, the clubs had to go to, to tr- a bag of tricks to pull it out. Yep, absolutely. Jason, uh, Jason, I feel left out. You and I weren't there. Although now, as I said that out loud, I'm wondering if you were born by the time <laughs> that game was played. Uh, I was born, but I was okay. not. That Thank old. God. Nor do I remember that. Right. Uh, and from the perspective of being a young person, um, you know, Brandon mentioned the most anticipated season. I would agree with that. And I think even though I wasn't around, I, mean, I was in I was in middle school or even underneath middle school, maybe elementary school, two thousand seven. I Grew up in Central Florida, so I didn't remember any of that when the stadium was built and whatnot. But um, I remember, you know, the anticipation going into 2018. You know, maybe it wasn't as hyped as it could have been if Scott Frost had stayed and everything was, you know, the way it was in 17 going into 18. But still, nonetheless, you were coming off an undefeated season with a dark, a legitimate dark horse candidate, Mackenzie Milton. That was a highly, highly anticipated season. And there was like a – I think Brandon is right where it feels kind of like 2007 where – it, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but in terms of anticipation of, you know, what happens on the field, it feels really similar in that sense. Like you're just ready to get football started. And we've, we've talked about the Big 12 so much ever since the invite was received. And then they uh, finalized the, the entrance dates. And now they're, you know, July 1 came. Um, and, and, you know, the non-conference games are here first. But certainly the fact that we're now going to be playing Big 12 football is really exciting. And it's it's kind of like, I think what Brandon mentioned before, you can go on ESPN.com and look at the Big 12 standings and read the Big 12 previews and the Power 5 previews. And um, it's, it's it almost feels unreal. Like it almost, like UCF has been pushing for this for so long. You see these logos next to each other and they're, that's the new normal. And that's, that's the good new normal. I mean, it's the it's exciting new normal. Um, I think I was talking with Trace Chorko a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, this is the first time where if a UCF player is on a watch list, they have a legitimate chance at winning, right? I mean, obviously you have special players that can be semi-finalists or even finalists, or, um, you know, it takes a re- it would take a really special player, and it still would at this stage, but it just feels like with the Big 12 tag, the Power 5 tag, everything under the sun is, is elevated to another level that we've never seen before at UCF. So, uh, obviously, it's exciting. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's it's something that's been in the work for so long, and it's exciting to see it finally come together. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just kind of look at this, you know, having, you know, seen UCF football since the beginning, you know, and, and, you know, where they have come from, from where they started in very, very humble beginnings, and the continual rise and graduation and, you know, Eric talked about all those money games UCF used to play. And, and you know, they were with whiskers of capturing many of those contests. And you're just thinking and seeing the potential, you know, this can be something really, really big. And to see that come to fruition and, and you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like you, as you know, I see the Big 12 logo and it still feels a little surreal to me. You know, it's like this is this is now it's real. And it's it, it's quite exciting to to look forward to the road we have uh, going into this season. Second topic, new offensive coordinator Darren Henshaw, former UCF quarterback, takes over the play calling from head coach Gus Malzahn. 
What impact do you think that will have? Jason, we'll take you first this time. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think Darren Henshaw is a coach that absolutely loves UCF. Um, he's a coach I haven't, in the time I've been around UCF, I don't think I've talked with a coach like him in the sense of he, you can tell he's passionate. I mean, all these coaches always say the right thing. They want to win. They want to score a lot of points and, 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 you know, could do good things in the football field, obviously. Um, but you can just, it, there's like a different sense of passion with, with Darren. And that's for obvious reasons is alma mater is where he played. And he's really proud of that. And he's really proud of the opportunity that he has. And you can tell the passion whenever he talked to us, you know, just really passionate about, um, you know, success is important to him. I mean, obviously winning is important to this entire program, but it, it really feels personal for Darren Henshaw. I think when you talk about what that means for the field uh, and what that means for the season, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, Gus Malzahn has handed off play calling before. Um, he's taken it back before. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's not success offensively, what that means down the stretch of the season. Uh, obviously, I wish the best for, for Coach Henshaw and, and what he can do. Um, but at the same time, it's going to be interesting to see how Gus Malzahn handles not calling plays. I mean, right when he was introduced to UCF, he was going to call plays until the end of his career. And obviously he's not retiring right now. Um, so he's, it's not like he lied at the time, but I think the reality called football changed so much with NIL and the financial portal, all yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, but with Hinshaw calling the plays, and, and I think for the first time, really, um, you know, you're, you're going to have John Rice told me, hopefully he can stay healthy as long as, uh, it seems as though they're implementing a, making it really clear to him that they don't want him taking as many hits this year, which will be important. Um, I think the word of the spring was vertical. We kept hearing how they're going to stretch the field vertically, and 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 that's going to be exciting to see again. We saw that under Josh Heupel a lot, obviously. Uh, it went away a little bit under Gus Malzahn, and you know I was talking to Javon Baker uh, and and Kobe Hudson, you know, up in preseason and media day. Um, you know, I think Kobe told me that you know, we, we got to make plays downfield. And, and that's that's something you're going to see in Hinshaw's offense. So I'm excited to see how that works and, and what he can implement here. Eric? I, I wrote uh, for Black and Gold Bear at a column about Darren Hinshaw and the impact. And it's kind of fitting in a way that he's here at this time because he was the quarterback in the 90s for Mike Kruzek, who was the offense coordinator under legendary head coach Gene McDowell, which I know you know, Jeff Brandon knows, Adam knows clearly we've established that Jason doesn't because he's too—he's the youngest of the group here, clearly. Uh, he's Johnny, but I think he's great. I had a really great talk with Darren at Media Day, and the thing that really I enjoyed was him talking about preparing that quarterback room. And and, and not only that, but you know, making sure John Rice Plumlee makes correct reads and not force the issue, but also have everybody in the room open. Like he says Timmy McClain's going to have a game plan ready in case he's got to go in in that game. Same thing for you know, the rest of the guys in the quarterback. And I think that's the thing he's going to bring. I think he's an upgrade uh, over last year's group. I felt last year from an outside granite that the quarterback room was a mess. It was all over the place. You're talking about, well, who's the guy? You have the drama between Mikey Keene and JRP. Then you have the situation, well, are we redshirting this guy? And are we redshirting that guy? And, you and, and you know, even Darren brought it up to me. Last year, UCF found out they needed three quarterbacks because John went down. So you have to have every quarterback – Ready, and I feel like Darren has prepared. Will have everybody prepared in that quarterback room to perform when they're called upon. How good they are, we will find out this year. 
but I expect a much more prepared quarterback room. And I think Darren's been a welcome addition. And he's very honest, very in-depth. Brandon knows this. Uh, You know, Jason even knows that as in-depth. He'll go in-depth with you and talk about what they're working on and things like that. So, uh, and the fact that I think John Rice can relate to him, I I think he's a huge impact. I'm excited to see him on on board here and help the offense. Brandon. Yeah, I I pretty much concur with both Jason and Eric. Um, You know, first of all, to, to Jason's point, you know, Gus, the offense has always been his his baby. And when he got to UCF, he said, I'm never giving up play calling again because in those situations um, at Auburn when he did, it really wasn't his choice. There was external pressure uh, boosters or, or whatnot that wanted him to to hang it up, and he wasn't really happy about that. So, but I mean, but as he says, college football is is different. You know, there's been a lot of changes. There's been more changes in the last couple of years than probably the previous 20 when you look at transfer portal and NIL. And so he does have increased responsibilities on those fronts. And that's kind of his, that was his rationale for, you know, I guess handing over the reins to Darren Henshaw. But yeah, I, I am curious to see how that d- dynamic plays out. Is is Gus completely hands off? Um, I I kind of doubt that he will be completely hands off. Yeah, but you know, how much influence will he have? Um, will he mi- micromanage? You know, and, you know, a lot of that stuff we may never know. But I'll just be curious to see. You know, and I, I'm just curious to see it. Period. Because we we don't see anything. Okay, we talk to players you know what's the offense looking like oh we're gonna push the you know and darren and darren's to his credit uh he's probably been my favorite coach at least in this gus malzahn era in terms of doing you know interviews with because i feel like he's very candid he's honest i don't feel like he's bsing you in any way and if anyone's ever seen his press conferences um i think you would agree with that that you're getting it straight up he's not fil- he's not filtering anything you know gus malzahn tends to be vague and talks in coach speak and you know Hypo is the same way. I mean, most coaches are like that. So I appreciate the, the candor that we get from, from Darren, but I'm just anxious to see it for myself because, you know, they're talking about getting the ball down the field and, and all this stuff. And, and we know where John Rice struggled. I know we're going to talk about more about John Rice in a moment, but we know he kind of struggled with, with some of that UCF hasn't really been much of a, of a deep ball threat since Dylan Gabriel left. So I just want to see it for myself and, and pretty much if the hype matches you know, if, 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 if the on-field results match the hype is what I'm trying to say. And, but yeah, I'm obviously, I, I think everyone's rooting for Darren Henshaw. You know, like Jason said, this means something. This means a little bit more. Every coach, everywhere they're at, you know, they want to do well and all this stuff. But the fact that it's Darren's alma mater, um, you know, the fact that he's back, you know, he, he left UCF, um, more than more than 20 years ago, always thinking he'd come back one day in, in, in some capacity and it just didn't work out. And, you know, I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is I see Gus Malzahn is a great coach for UCF right now, but you never know. I mean, a few years, you know, Gus retires, you know, I mean, hired away. I mean, who know? We, you know, we don't even know. It's college football coaching profession is, is incredibly volatile. Maybe he's a future UCF head coach, or at least a UCF future uh, UCF future head coach candidate. So, you know, he obviously wants to do as, as well as he can for his, his, his alma mater. And, you know, I think we're all going to be rooting for him. Brandon, you also broke something interesting. So Auburn boosters having influence. <laughs> uh, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Adam, take it away. 
I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, I heard, um, so I got to talk to now current Tennessee Volunteers offensive analyst Mackenzie Milton uh, at, uh, at the golf tournament recently. And one thing he said to me is a name dropper. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, can you it makes it makes <laughs> it makes a big deal who your coach is and having uh, having a quarterback coach that played quarterback is a really big deal. Mackenzie stressed that when, when he and I spoke about that. And I think that's interesting because you think about John Rice Palmley and how this offense goes, you know, with all due respect to Chip Lindsay, I don't know that he was, you know, that quarterback whisper if he had some of that acumen that Darren Hinshaw's had having played the position. So I'm curious to see how much of, of that sort of DNA from Darren's quarterback background then filters its way through the, you know, the offense, particularly the quarterbacks. And I agree with Brandon. I just want to see what we're going to see. That's all we've heard all, all camp long is we're vertical, we're faster, we're going to go down the field, we're going to take shots that sounds good like i'm all in like where do i sign up is there a petition i can <laughs> i can sign today i'm in for that but we've never seen any evidence of that i actually tried to do this really boring exercise where i went through all of henshaw's previous stops as oc cincinnati kentucky uab and seeing if there's any sort of common thread there and to be fair his offenses were kind of up and down and i don't know that he ever really had one style right you think about an offensive coordinator and usually he is bringing a style with him it's up tempo it's run and shoot it's spread option i don't think any of us on the screen here can give you a two word descriptor of Darren Hinshaw's offense other than multiple right which basically means everything but nothing but you'll figure it out so i'm really curious what that what that looks like if i can play the Contrarian card for a second. I'm I'm really glad that there's a UCF guy now coaching a UCF team. I think that's a, certainly a big thing. But you wonder when this offensive coordinator spot came open. Gus Malzahn probably had his pick of a few different candidates, right? There is all rumors out there. We've all heard the names and the people who may or may not have interviewed. He had his pick of a few candidates, some candidates who had some 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 chops, some credentials on the offensive side of the football, some names that really would have raised eyebrows. And he went off the board with Darren Hinshaw. And it kind of makes you wonder why is that? Is it because it may be easier to allow Gus to sort of put guardrails around a newer, maybe quote unquote, unexperienced offensive coordinator than a, a bigger personality, somebody who's bringing a lot more um, gravitas to the role? Again, just a conspiracy theory. I just wonder how much how much of the guardrails Gus has around Darren Hinshaw and how much of this offense really is his or how much is this Gus kind of saying, hey, you can have the offense, but it, it runs through me and I make the final call. I don't know that he could have done that with any or every other offensive coordinator out there, um, but I feel like he could probably do that with Darren Henshaw. Well, so. It's a fit. It's a fit, right? Like that's what really what you're saying sure. is it's a fit. And remember, Darren was with Gus in the 2021 as an analyst. So how much yeah. did that play a role that there is some familiarity? I have breaking news for everybody. Coaches are control freaks. I know that's a shocker to you, Adam. They like to be involved in a lot of different stuff. You're not just going to bring somebody in, just you know, unless you're comfortable with it that you can, you know, have a relationship with and whatever that is. And you know, you guys have all brought up the example. We don't know what this offense. Although, though, I feel like the whole like, vertical deep pass isn't that like a cliche that every what is it every offensive corner going to say in an opening press conference? Hey, we're going to just you know dump it down for check down for five yards. I feel like. That gets overplayed. We only make a big deal of that when we, you know, we lose <laughs> games. Yeah. Uh, so, Fair. but again, I, I think the thing that, that, that we cannot underestimate, and, I, and Brandon and Jason can disagree with me on this, I feel like the quarterback room is healthier, cleaner, more organized this year. Not, It doesn't feel chaotic like it did last year. And I think Darren is, is a big part of that. I think everybody's on the same page. I know JRP is the, the, the easy decision to be the guy, but I don't get a sense of – any you know negative in, in the air like last year where you're I'm talking during the season you're trying to figure out who's playing quarterback who's redshirting I feel it's more organized this year and everybody's more on the same page yeah 
And interestingly enough, you know, uh, I, I I think about, you know, I've been calling for an OC to call a place since like year two of Josh Heupel because, you know, I, I just kind of felt like that the that the play caller and the head coach is a very, very difficult job in college football. And I, and I think there's only a handful of guys that can do it, especially now that there are all these other extenuating things going on. So uh, let's move on to John Rice Plumley. Since well, Brandon, uh, I think Brandon, Brandon, I think had a thought there. Oh, too. Did you? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. Uh, yeah, and we're talking more about John Rice in a minute, but when you talk about the the quarterback room kind of being uh, you know, less controversial or however you want to say it, that every everyone has everyone's role is is defined. You know, I think that's a very positive thing. Last year, you know, that wasn't the case when it was a fractured locker room when you know half the team thought Mikey Keene should be the starter, and then we see John Rice, you know, struggle in games, and you know Mikey Keene comes in and you know, has that game against Cincinnati and, and all that stuff. And, but, you know, you have John Rice, he's, he's clearly the the starter. There's no controversy. There's no, not really a, a competition to see who it's going to be. Timmy McLean has experienced as a former starter at South Florida. He's already used up his free transfer. So even though he's not, you know, entering the season as a starter, he's kind of, he's kind of limited. He doesn't have any more options unless he were to go down a level to, to FCS. So he kind of knows his role. He's coming in to be the backup and you got Dylan risk. Who's kind of happy, you know, happy to be there as a true freshman and he'll, he'll do whatever's needed. And, you know, I kind of feel like they're not going to, I feel like they don't want to play him more than more than four. I, you know, some people have claimed that have seen some practices. They kind of wonder if, if he's a guy who could, you know, maybe eventually you maybe be that, that true no, number two backup this year, you know, and then you got uh, the quarterback transfer from Charlotte. You know, I I think he, he was wearing a gold jersey the other day. I'm not sure if he's completely healthy. But he, I just feel like everyone kind of has their role. But I know we're about to talk about John Rice. I just think for UCF you know, success this season, you just got to cross your fingers that he stays healthy. Yeah, so let's let's switch over to JRP. So he's the clear-cut number one guy. You know, he had a whirlwind spring. You know, he's the baseball player. He's going to football practice, planes, trains, automobiles, all that good stuff. And you know, it's a it's a it's a big deal that he's coming in as the true number one. So, how do you think he's going to do this year? And let's go with Adam to start this time. Well, look, as a fan, as an alum, I want him to have the best season of all time, right? I mean, I think we're all rooting and, and want JRP to to be peak JRP. I don't know if we know what that is, but I think we're all rooting for him to to take these alleged steps you've heard people take. I think it's really funny, you know, Eric. You're talking about um, coaches and control freaks, and, and what I think is funny, and Brandon and, and and Jason, you guys are there a lot as well. You're hearing the same talking points from every player that comes up. So much been proved this year. So much better with the ball. So much better in the pocket. Like, I don't know if it's a state media and they were like putting out stuff in the, in the chairs and locker room, but you're hearing a lot of the same stuff. And I, I hope all that's true, right? I really hope that that, that actually is true. I, I think for me, there's two things I want to see JRP do. Number one, Brandon just mentioned that is stay healthy. You know, he's, he's got to limit the amount of hits he takes in his body. I can appreciate a quarterback who wants to run over the backup safety from Temple, but I'm also okay if you just want to slide and get the first down and keep it moving, right? So I don't think we need him to bulldoze everybody. I, the, the FAU flipping the end zone is an iconic photograph i think brandon you may have taken one of those photos right but i don't want to see that picture ever again in my life because that means that he may be landing on something that's going to crack and that's not good news for us so i think health is important and number two look we can talk about accuracy and arm strength and all that stuff for me i think where he really had a a challenge last year that i want to see him improve is decision making 
when to throw the ball away, when to take the sack, when to, when to, you know, lay it on the line for the next play, when to, when to go to the check down, when to go through reads. I feel like there are times where, and I know we all made this joke and everyone sort of laughed that it's been two, three years since you played quarterback, but I, I want to understand, has his decision-making sped up? Is he going to make faster decisions, better decisions? I think, I forget what game, I want to say Cincinnati. He threw like a horrendous interception on the sidelines. He was trying to like shovel to Stephen Martin on a, on a way out of bounds and then it just literally just chucking to the Stephen Martin. And those are plays this year. I want him to step out of bounds and not take a hit and keep it moving. So I think for me, I want him to do fantastic. I want all these state media quotes to be true. I want him to stay healthy and, and I want to see if his decision-making is improved in the offense. Yeah. I, I, I think Adam too, I look back at the bowl game. He, he struggled mightily making decisions against Duke uh, where that was going. So Brandon, you brought up the, the, the topic of stay healthy. What else? Yeah, I mean, I concur with everything that that Adam said. You know, and we've you know, state media, you know, players speak, coach speak quotes. We've we've heard it that you know they're saying he's making better decisions, quicker decisions. I have heard from a couple of people that did attend one of the scrimmages recently, one of the donors that they thought he was getting the ball out a lot lot quicker, and and he was you know looking at more than just one read, which I think was a, a criticism last year. But the thing that I always come back to and 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 kind of give him the benefit of of the doubt that we all talk about John Rice. Yeah, he's an older player. He's been playing college football since 2019, but he's only had one season in which he was the full-time starting quarterback. That was last year. So, and the only reason I mean he really played as a true freshman at Ole Miss is, you know, there was an injury, uh, you know, he got in there and he, you know, he didn't know what he's doing. He's a true freshman. That's why he's he was running around all all over the place. He really was a you know, a lot, a lot of the things he went through last year, he was honestly going through for the first time, you know, he hadn't, hadn't experienced, you know, a lot of this stuff before. So, you know, the old adage that, you know, coaches always say that players are going to make the biggest improvement from their freshman to sophomore year. Well, it's kind of the same. He's, he's going to make, I, I feel like he should make a big improvement from his first year as a, as a starter to his second year as a starting quarterback. But, you know, like Adam said, he's he's got to be smart about it. I, I know he's 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 the ultimate team guy. He's the competitor. He's the guy, you know, putting his head down trying to get one more yard for a first down at Cincinnati when you know he shouldn't be doing that. And then he gets you know concussed, and you know that was obviously an issue for him. He's just got to stop doing that. There are so many weapons on this team that he just has has to distribute the ball. Now he's he's athletic. I mean, you don't want to take that ability from him. What makes him dynamic, I think, is his legs. But you got to be smart in how he is he is utilized. But yeah, like I said, I you know, we'll see, you know, soon enough, you know, what year two John Rice looks like. But I, I still I still believe that, you know, it will be a remarkable improvement from year one. Eric. I agree with what Brandon and Adam saying. And the coaching staff, Gus has said this, too, where he took some of the blame, too, for like, you know, maybe I called some things that was I shouldn't have called for JRP. Maybe I ran them too much. Maybe I called some. Uh, passing plays that he just, you know, was a low percentage play. You know, some of that, too, is getting familiar with what he can do and can't do from that standpoint. I agree about the progression from year one to two. Decision-making is the big thing. All of this reminds me, if we did this roundtable in August of 2017, I feel like we'd be having the same conversation about Mackenzie Milton going into the year. Hey, is he, he's got to make better decisions than he did in 2016. So I'm not saying he's going to be Mackenzie Milton, but – we kind of forget he had great moments last year. He played well. He was the best player on the field against Tulane the first meeting. I think if he was healthy in the second meeting, they win that game. I don't think Tulane had an answer for him. So he's capable of that. It's about being consistent. 
We've seen the the, the highs and the lows. He's got to be consistent. It goes back to what you guys are talking about, the decision-making, making the smart decision, throw the ball away, don't run for the extra year, don't force a ball that you can't but be consistent in your decision-making and everything else will take care of itself. And I think the fan base on social media, we got to stop with like scrutinizing every throw he makes. He's not going to be like Dante Culpepper airing it out in a beautiful spiral every throw, but he he can get the job done. And he, he fits the Gus system and we'll see how that goes this year, but he's a valuable playmaker. And I think he'll have a very strong year. Jason. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, Gus said he's night and day. I know he's a coach and what else is he going to say, but is he really going to be night and day? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we don't get to watch anything, and especially I myself haven't been at camp at all this year. I went to media day and got to talk with John Rice. I think he's very similar to Derek Henshaw, passionate about this, cares about this. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how much and how much different he looks. I think the decision-making is the biggest thing. Um, you know, there were times last year I, I was wondering if he knew he could throw the ball away or not, or if he knew how to slide. I mean, how did a baseball player not know how to slide? So, uh, <laughs> decision making leads to staying healthy. It leads to less turnovers. Uh, and it leads to, to his, if you can right, make the right decision, it leads to his playmaking uh, abilities to, to really be on full showcase and get the ball to the right guys like Javon Baker, like Kobe Hudson, like Alec Collar. So, um, you know, not just making the right decisions, but making them quickly. Obviously, this is challenging to do. Um, but I think having Darren Henshaw there is going to help him a lot. I mean, I had a great relationship with Chip Lindsay. He and I, by the end of last season, we talked on the field before the game. So I'll respect the Chip, but I do think Darren Henshaw is a better quarterback coach um, in terms of developing and working and honing in on problems and being honest about those problems and saying this is what needs to be fixed and needs to be fixed before we start the season. Um, you know, going back to Eric's point a few minutes ago about it's going to be less, you know, I don't even know what word you want to say, less controversial. Everyone knows their role, that that sort of thing. I do wonder if, if UCF had a better back and quarterback last year than they do this year. Um, you know, I think there's rumors that Dylan Risk is making a push. He's only a freshman. How, how good can he be? He didn't even early enroll. Um, you know, Timmy McLean obviously has experience, but there's question marks around how efficient he can be as well. Um, you know, Mikey Keaton was a really good quarterback. It was a reason why the quarterback battle was so, so close last year and why it was so contentious throughout the entire season. It is refreshing not to, you know, deal with that back and forth. And, and I, I, that was something I got to ask a lot of the players, like, how different is this fall camp knowing that John Rice is the guy? And they kind of all told me the same thing. It's from a confidence level, you know, who's going to be there day one. Um, and and how things are going to play out, you know his style, you know his tendencies, tendencies, and what he's really good at. And I think Darren Henshaw was really able to come in and hone in on what he's bad at and help him improve. So, you know, is he going to be night and day better than last year? I don't know. I mean, I think I agree with Brandon's point that you know from year one being the start of year two, certainly there should be improvement. Um, but I'm excited to see. You know, I think you no know, disrespect to Kent State, I think at Boise State is really that first test for John Rice and him being on the road and. Uh, being in an atmosphere like that. So it should be exciting to see. I, I hope he's, uh, you know, improved for sure. You know, I think one of the things we all agree upon, you know, he is a phenomenal athlete. You know, I mean, you cannot dispute that. Uh, I thought he was, a, you know, a hell of a center fielder in baseball, like the way he, you know, got on base and sparked things. And he brought a little bit of the football mentality to the baseball team. 
So, you know, he showed leadership there. He has shown leadership on the football field. So I think, A, you can say he's a leader. He's an athlete. And he's got heart. So, I mean, he's got three very important things going for him well. And I think what I heard everybody say here, the one word is consistent, right? That's really kind of what it all boils down to when, when uh, when it's all said and done. Well, and Jeff, you mentioned the baseball. I mean, there were people, I remember in fall, talking to people in the fall, you know, during there, there were a lot of people that thought, well, maybe he's just going to be a pinch runner, you know, for baseball. Well, we don't think he's that great of a baseball player. He got the center field starting job, and he had a heck of a year, like to your point, uh, improved drastically, which is amazing because he didn't participate in fall ball and baseball, obviously, because he was doing football. So don't underestimate him from that standpoint. And I, you know, Brandon, I know, got to be go to a lot of the baseball games and cover. You know, baseball obviously not as covered and scrutinized as football was. So I got, you know, I, I was more of the outsiders thinking, all right, this John Rice is this guy for real, you know. But seeing him with and how he handled himself around baseball, where n- there isn't as much coverage, he's legit. He's a legit person that is a stand-up person, a great representation for the program. Uh, and I think he, I think you described him very well, Jeff. And I think he's a guy to root for. Uh, from that standpoint, but I want to emphasize the coaching staff has to help them. Yeah. We're, we're letting them off the hook. I don't, again, you got, you can't just, you know, I remember last year in the season opener against uh, the FCS school, I think it was South Carolina state, whatever. I was, I was just livid how much he was running in the game. And I'm like, why is he running so much? You don't need to him to run in the game like this. And I would say the same thing going into Kent state. I would be disappointed if we're at the Kent State game and we're looking at his stats and he's running like 15 carries and running a ton, I'm like, what did we really accomplish? That That's not going to get you in the long run. So to me, let's uh, – I know people want to – you know, he's got to execute and he's got to be consistent. He's got to make the decisions. But the coaching staff has to put him in a position to succeed as well. Yep. I totally agree with that. All right, so we've exhausted the offensive side of the ball, so let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. A new coordinator also in play here with Addison Williams. What do you expect to see there, Jason? Yeah, I really like Addison Williams as a, as a coach. I think he was always great to talk to uh, up on the podium. And, and I think if we've heard good things about him internally, and, and obviously you're going to want to compare the defense from last year to this year. I think the one thing, you know, obviously expectations-wise, that defensive line, it seems like it's at its strongest. And that's, that's just the amount of players they have, the quality they have up front. Um, the defensive line is going to really be the strength uh, of this defense. And, and I think there are some question marks about where everybody lands in the secondary, but it seems like a fairly strong secondary. You have some experienced guys, some key transfers. I think the number one thing I'm going to be watching in that first game is whether or not the defense backs turn their head towards the ball. <laughs> I mean, that was something that was so frustrating last year where, you know, you talk about JRP's decision-making and some of the decisions he would make, but the defensive backs not looking towards the ball sometimes we're just so frustrating from an outsider's perspective. I'm not saying it's easy to play corner. It's probably one of the most difficult positions out there. You're really on an island. You're on your own. They take it really seriously. Um, but I think from a coaching perspective and, and what might thing, what things might be different under Addison Williams, because he's the defensive backs coach as well, uh, you know, working with Dave, with uh, Coach Gibb, um, I'll be curious to see how their technique and, and, and uh, what they want to feel this season. But I think that defensive line, obviously, it's, it's really talented. You know, I'm excited to watch John Walker in, in, in college and how that translates from high school to high school to uh, college and whatnot. But um, the defensive line is certainly going to be the strength of this unit. Eric. 
I'm intrigued to see how much difference do we see uh, in, in, from a scheme standpoint, you know, from Addison, who was on the staff, from what Travis called. You know, and Travis got, you know, did a good job. But, you know, at times that was critical for maybe being too vanilla, perhaps. The secondary maybe playing a two further back. Uh, you know, obviously the defense fell apart light last year. You know, who do you believe in that? Some people think it was because Travis maybe was looking at other jobs in the SEC at the time. Some people think it was just the talent caught up with him. Who knows? I'm very curious to see what Addison comes up with from a scheme standpoint. How drastically different is it going to be from what we've seen the previous couple of years? Younger secondary, to Jason's point, the defensive line has to be good. Has to be good to help. Uh, no, no one's a better friend to a young secondary than a good defensive line that can put pressure on the quarterback. So, I am intrigued to see the scheme from Addison. Very good. I talked to him at media day. I mean, he knows what he's doing, obviously. Gus trust him. Uh, Addison said it meant a lot to him, too. He knows Gus very well. So I did like the move, but I'm curious to see how drastic is the difference schematically than what we've seen the last couple of years. It might be. Do they pressure more? Uh, do, do they you know, hide some coverages some more? I'm really intrigued to see that. Uh, you know, we talk so much about what, you know, let's see what we're going to see from the offense. Well, we don't know what we're going to see from the defense. Are we going to see something drastically different or we're going to see similar stuff than what we've seen the last couple of years? Brandon. I'll, I'll say this about Addison Williams taking over as defensive coordinator. I think Gus had kind of planned this out. You know, um, there was uh, it was about a year ago um, around this time. Uh, probably this same week, you know, before game week, um, you know, Gus is, you know, he's kind of set in his ways. He likes to be the primary spokesman and he allows coordinators to do regular interviews. He doesn't typically allow assistant coaches to do interviews outside of one day at media day in early August. And um, UCF kind of scheduled an additional availability, probably like would have been like this time, you know, maybe like on a Thursday, Friday before it was game week. And it was specifically to talk to Addison Williams. And which was interesting because we don't really talk to assistants, you know, Travis Williams, T will was the D coordinator. And I just kind of remember I, you know, I got, I was there early and, and, you know, Addison Williams was kind of hanging out. I don't think any, maybe practicing it early. I might've been the only media person in the room and we were just talking and, you know, he was just telling me, yeah, you know, Gus kind of wanted to see how, how I do in this setting. You know, kind of wanted to see me do one of these press conferences. So, you know, you you put two and two together. And I think that was just one element of Gus, you know, trying to, you know, kind of see if he'd be ready for this role with the in, in, increased scrutiny and, and you know, in, answering questions from media. Just one of the many elements that the responsibilities are increased when you are a, a defensive corner outside of just this the football and dealing with, with players. So I think Gus kind of saw this comment. I think, you know, he always knew, you know, Travis Williams, you know, T. Will was going to be an up and comer. There's a good chance he was going to get an opportunity to move on, which he did. He, he's at he's at Arkansas now, so you know, and, and you know, and then when he left, I mean, I don't think it was. Gosh, yeah, maybe the rumor had been out for like a couple hours. I'm trying to remember the the timeline of how things transpired in December. He was announced for Arkansas, and like within the hour, I think they were, you know, Gus pretty much gave the job to Addison Williams, and they they told the team. I mean, there was. No, no thought process whatsoever of considering anybody else besides Addison Williams. So that that tells you that tells you something. That tells you that, that Gus Malzahn obviously thinks very highly of him. He felt like he was ready for this role, and you know he's kind of he's kind of groomed him to be this up and coming defensive coach. Back when he was, I guess, an analyst. I forgot what year it was. Was it twenty seven? Back 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 at Auburn a few years ago. He had 
you know, Addison had kind of, you know, been coaching at, you know, the one to belay level and had been at Furman and, you know, had, you know, he took the job with, with, with Auburn. And so I, I he's kind of always been on this track and from, and, you know, I've heard nothing. I mean, you know, not like I would really say the opposite, but it's true. I've never, I've never heard one bad word about Addison Williams. The players love him. I remember when they brought him in for the the press conference and, and Jason, you probably remember this too. Um, you know, like a bunch of defensive players, they, they were in, they wanted to, they wanted to support him. They wanted to show the support. They were all, they remember Nikai Martinez, the Henderson twin, a bunch of the guys were, were sitting, you know, kind of among us, you know, watching his press conference because they were so excited for him. And so, yeah, from, from that end, I think he's going to be a, a tremendous, but you know, I, I want to see it in person, just like offense. We don't really see anything. We have uh, one element that's got to improve and they've talked about it and that's forcing turnovers that's interceptions. UCF had six the entire season. Three of them went to Devad Wilson. And I think two of those three were like, just like lucky. Like I'm there. Maybe I like, I was in the wrong spot, but then, you know, the ball got deflected some weird way. And somehow I came, came, I got bailed out. And so, I mean, they weren't really, I mean, I I remember some of those interceptions were so lucky. So UCF as a team only had six. Uh, DeCorian Patterson, one of the many DB transfers UCF brought in, and Middle Tennessee last year, he had seven, just just him, just, just he had more than the entire UCF team. And then you look at guys, you talk about you know uh, corners not looking back for the ball. You have Corey Thornton, who has pretty much been a starter ever since he arrived in 2020. He's he started almost he's pretty much started every game. He's been healthy. He got a concussion issue. After that, I think that Louisville game in 2021, I can't remember. He may have missed a few games then, but he's pretty much been a, a full-time starter ever since 2020. And he had one interception in 2020 and he hasn't had one since. I mean, a guy who's played more than anyone else at that corner spot, he has one interception in three years. So obviously that's a focus. They talk about doing different things, you know, with disguising coverages and and they've got a lot of stuff they're they're planning on doing that's going to be different, I guess, from from what 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 T Will did. So I'm excited to see it. I, I do think it starts with the de- defensive line. That's clearly the the depth if you look at that that side of the ball. Um, I think the transfer portal obviously came up huge in in trying to build that depth because we know at the end of last season with you know guys injured or some guys kind of you know by that championship game, they know they're hitting the portal and you know, they, what their effort was like in that game. I don't, I don't know if it was a hundred percent. So the depth just wasn't there defensively towards the end of the year. You know, we'll see how it shakes out who starts and who's in the two D, but there's a lot of guys who have played, you know, between linebacker and bringing in, you know, the, the, the two guys who played a lot last year with Jason Johnson and Ryan Davis, or, sorry, Jason Johnson, and Walter Yates. And then you bring in transfers like Ryan Davis and Isaiah Paul and some of the younger guys like Cam Moore. And you got the DBs. I mean, there's a bunch of guys you know, who, who have played, you know, at, at other schools in, in addition to the returning players. So there's a lot of depth there. And, and, and yeah, like I said, I'm just, it's going to be interesting because they're going to be thrown in, into the fire and they're going to have to defend big 12, you know, <laughs> offenses that that's not an easy task i mean i i know it's it's you know different dynamic as yusuf's known they've been going into to the big 12 but you know this this team would easily be the preseason favorite to just run all over the aac and just we're all just kind of waiting to see how this team translates to this you know higher level of com- of competition adam yeah, let me start with Addison Williams first off. I, I absolutely love the hire. I, I think it's it's awesome to see a guy get opportunities like this. And to Brandon's point, um, I've never heard a, a negative word said about Addison Williams. And, and I'm also far from 
the the person who would ever break news on this show to uh, looking at the faces here. But I was told that he had other opportunities around the same time Teal was leaving. He was he was in demand. So it tells you that Gus prioritized keeping him and, and putting him on the staff and Brandon kind of led the timeline out. So it's clear how much Gus valued him. I think the second thing I'd say is with respect to Aston Williams and again, kind of lending to, to what Brandon said. And today's college football, as soon as you see a coordinator leaving for another school, I mean, fire up the transfer portal tracker, right? Because typically half the team jumps in to, to leave with the coordinator. And outside of, of one person who left by other means that had nothing to do with, with football specifically, I mean, all, all these guys stay together, right? So I think that tells you how much they respect Addison Williams, how much they like Addison Williams, how much, you know, this this team means to them. So I think that speaks well to the kind of person Addison Williams is. Now to Brandon's point, does that turn into him being a, a world-class defensive coordinator? Only time will tell, but I think he's got the building blocks and I think he's got the foundation to do that. For me, my biggest question is, is I think we all agree that the line is is going to be the strength of the defense, right? I think we know we got the big boys up front. They're, they're going to do a good job. How quickly can they figure out what that back seven looks like and what their rotation is, right? Because they're going to try a bunch of guys probably in the first game, but then we got Boise, try a bunch of guys in the second game. How long is going to take them to figure out that mix, right? Who are the linebackers? Who are the, who are the four or five secondary players? I think there's, there's a glutton of names in the secondary. And I assume they have to Brandon's point. They're one and two deep, but a lot of these guys have never played together before. So how long will it take them to kind of get that mix, figure that rotation out? And what does that growing pain look like while we go through that process? I think there's plenty of guys who have opportunity. I think there's plenty of names out there. I think there's plenty of experience. Um, I really like Gus's strategy. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of scoff their nose at it, but I like Gus going to maybe lower tier schools or FCF schools and finding guys with experience and bringing them in and letting them play. I think we've had a lot of experience with that. I think we've had a lot of, um, a lot of positive, uh, positivity with that. So how quickly can that back seven sort of figure themselves out? What's the rotation look like? And how quickly can we understand who, who it is that's going to be relied on back there? But look, I think I'm really excited for Addison Williams. I think it's he's the kind of guy I think we all want to root for. Um, and it sounds like the players want to play for him. I agree with Jason, though, if they just turn their head around, that'd be a lot better. <laughs> that would certainly help a lot. You know, I, I, I look at the situation, you know, I always had that first thought, you know, when the guy is promoted from within, take over the coordinator role from the guy that's leaving, right? And I'm always wondering, like, you know, when play calls were happening last season, you know, do you think, you know, Addison Williams might be thinking, you know, I might have blitzed there instead of doing what we just did. You know, <laughs> you, you kind of always wonder, you know, if, if they had that thought process going on. Um, but the other part of this is continuity, right? Where, you know, you got a guy that's that's been there. You don't have to bring in another coordinator who may change things up. You know, obviously he will change things to will will fit his style that we will soon be introduced to. But uh yeah, I think the continuity thing is a, is an important thing, and if he's got all this respect that everybody has 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 proclaimed he has, you know, I think this is a this is definitely a, a good a good maneuver for for the Knights as far as that is concerned. All right, so let's talk MVPs on offense and defense, and uh, Adam, take it away. I'm going to go stay away from JRP. I think that's the obvious answer, right? If UCF has a good season, JRP is the MVP. So I'll, I'll take him off the board just to, to make this more fun. Uh, I want to go with RJ Harvey. I think that's going to be another popular name. Obviously, I think he'll get a lot of running back carries. Uh, I don't think you can go with a receiver. I, I think I heard Eric say this on a, another show last night that there's too many, de- there's too much depth at receiver. I think for one guy to really kind of stand out in that spot. So I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to go to Marcus Bowman. 
I have no idea why. I, I think he's he's got some speed. He's got some power. I think R.J. Harvey I had the knee injuries. Obviously, a little slower than Demarcus Bowman. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a bigger, thicker, more physical Adrian Killens, right? So if if you if you combined maybe a the late Otis Anderson with Adrian Killens, I think you get some form of a Demarcus Bowman. And I wonder how Gus and uh, and Darren can use him. So I'll go off the board. I'll go Demarcus Bowman. Uh, I wouldn't put any amount of money that means something to me on that bet, but I'll go off the board. I think R.J. Harvey's a safe pick as well on defense. I'm also going to going to try to go off the board, but not too far. I think it's Ricky Barber. Um, I think we need that guy in the middle that can stuff the run, uh, put pressure on the quarterback. You know, if you get the D tackle, uh, a quarterback hates having pressure in their face at their feet. If Ricky Barber can get pressure up the middle and force a quarterback to go to his left or his right, maybe that sets up, you know, Tremont Morris Brass, Josh Jellescar for some sacks. So I'm going to go with Ricky Barber just as that run stuffer, line disruptor, making key, you know, tackles for loss. He's obviously not going to lead the team in tackles. I hope he doesn't lead the team in interceptions because if he does, we got much bigger problems. Uh, but I'm going to go Ricky Barber as my defensive MVP. Brandon. Yeah, I agree with Adam that you kind of have to take John Rice off off the board because if he has a season that you know a lot of people think he's going to have or are hoping he's going to have, he's easily going to be the the MVP in in practice, and and that's that's no fun to to do that. And um, you know, I. And to his point, it's it's tough to to pick a wide receiver just because you know you know they're going to distribute the ball around, and it's it's tough to have one guy that makes such a difference. And I, you know, it's tough. I, I'm intrigued by the Demarcus Bowman pick because that's that's a name that you know, I think a lot of people you know don't know a lot about yet, other than his his background of being a you know five star recruit out out of Lakeland and. You know, but I'm going to go with RJ Harvey. You know, that's kind of the easy pick if you can't go with JRP just because, you know, you expect, you know, his role is going to be prominent within that rushing attack. And, you know, he's, you know, he's going to get, you know, the bulk of the carries that Isaiah Bowser got last year in some of the situations. Although I don't know how UCF's going to try to keep all those guys happy. There's a lot of people in that running back room that, you know, between Johnny Richardson and, you know, you talk about Demarcus Bowman and they're bringing up Mark Anthony Richards the other day. Remember him? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he played a big role in the team a couple of years ago and you got Jordan McDonald. And, and that's the thing these days that you got to keep everybody happy. And, and cause you know, you want to have depth and, and if you don't, you know, they're going to hit that. Maybe they'll hit the transfer portal anyway. It doesn't matter, but you know, you want to feel like everyone has a role. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of how I feel like maybe Herb Hand is seeing the light in terms of we'll see if it what happens with it. But he's talked about you know ro- you know rotating amongst the offensive lines. I think you have to because you you know you got to feel like these guys ha- have have a role and have get playing time. But I'll go I'll go with RJ Harvey. You know I I think we saw his breakout last year and I think he's poised for a really big season on the other side of the ball defense. Um. I agree with with Ricky Barber that easily could have been my choice as well. But I'm going to go with uh, Traymond Morris Brash. Um, I just feel like you know, he's been at UCF a long time. He's fully healthy going into this year. He led the team in sacks. I feel like he's he's poised to have a big year to 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 do the same. I, I know he's looking to to you know, I think it was six sacks off the top of my head. Something like that last year. But I think he's he's looking to get maybe he's talking about doing that double digit mark. So you know, I've heard a lot of good things about him, and uh, I I think he's going to have a a really good season this fall. Eric. Yeah, JRP is the obvious answer on the offensive side. Otherwise, it's going to be a long, long year. Uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, the running backs, I mean, that, that's a hot potato. There's so many names in there. A name that I'm intrigued by, by the way, Gamage, the wide receiver kid from uh, Marshall, the transfer. I'm curious to see how he's there with Baker 
and, and fits in there with Baker and Hudson. You know that you know Adam mentioned that other show. Adam and I do a lot of shows now. It's it's tough to keep up, but uh, I just think there's a lot of the the, the, the production is going to be spread out all over the place. So to me, it all comes down to JRP. If he's he's got to be good. He's the MVP there. Uh, but I think Gamich is a guy to keep in mind there. Baker as well. The wideouts I think are the two guys. If you if I can't pick JRP. That would be the the selections on the offensive side. Defensively, I'm just going to complete the defensive line there. Go with Selassar. I think he's the guy that's primed that could have a big year. Put some pressure in the defense. Uh, I I would pick him. Another name, Quadric Bullard, defensive back. If he earns the job there, you know their defense wasn't the same when he got hurt last year as well. So could that have played a role in their some of their struggles in the secondary? We'll see. He could be that key guy there. So I, I'm, I'm cheating. I understand, Jeff. I'm cheating on your question because I'm giving you multiple ans- uh, answers, but I feel like it's better to give you multiple answers considering we all may agree on the same guy. <laughs> you know, that's okay. We don't ha- have hard and firm rules here, as in we have none. So it's all good. <laughs> Jason. Yeah, it was interesting to think about this question. Who would have been the MVP last year looking back at it? And the name that comes to my mind in terms of, like, most valuable, which is what MVP stands for, Alec Holler. I think Alec Holler had the Holler hop, right? Yeah. And the Holy Holler catch, right? Yeah. So in terms of clutch plays, and he's always going to be there, he's consistently one of the guys who's just catching touchdowns and making big plays, and he's like John Ryan Pomey's best friend at UCF. I think Alec Holler was the MVP of the offense this year. And I might even say over John Ryan Pomey, because I really think Alec's going to be that guy for John Ryan where Yes, there's Javon Baker and Coke Hudson and Corey Gamage, uh, the transfer that Eric mentioned in the running back room and whatnot. But I'll say Alex Holler, my offensive MVP, because of his leadership skills, because of uh, his long standing in the locker room, uh, and what he can do a field and his clutch plays that he had last year. I think he's going to be uh, a really valuable player. Not the best player, but valuable, which is what MVP is. And then defensively, I would have also said uh, Ricky Barber as well, but just to switch it up, I'll say Jason Johnson. I think on Defense side, you talk about value, right? Most valuable defensive player to me is probably Jason Johnson. He's going to lead the team tackles. Uh, he's probably going to be calling a lot of the shots on defense, helping Addison Williams. Uh, just a veteran at linebacker, which seems to be a position that you see uh, almost feels like musical chairs with the amount of transfers they brought in. So I think in terms of figuring that position out, such a, you know, what is it, the quarterback of the defense, I think Jason Johnson on defense is, is really important and valuable for them. Jason, I really, I really like your, your pick of Alec Holler. I was thinking about him too, but the funny thing about Alec Holler for, for you guys to think about every year, we're all excited about the other tight end, right? Last year was Kamori Gamble, right? This year, you're hearing a lot of Randy Pittman. For a while, it was the late Jake Hescock. It was Charlie Browder. There's always the other tight end, and then there's Alec Holler. And every year, he's the yeah, one who ends up coming up big, too. So I, I thought it was funny this year. There's a lot of Randy Pittman love, which is fantastic. He may turn out to be a really good player. But it just reminds me, every year, we're always excited about that other tight end. And at the end of the year, it's Alec Holler who's there as sort of the, the most valuable and the uh, and, and the guy you can rely on. So you, you may have a sneaky good pick there, Jason. There we go. Yes, and he was sneaky because he got it before I did because that was going to be my off-the-wall pick <laughs> as well. So uh, kudos to you on that, Jason. I like that that pick as well. And for the defense, I do want it to be somebody on the defensive line, right? Because as we attested to earlier, if we're pressuring the quarterback and, and, and stuff in the run game, the secondary stuff will 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 take care of itself, right? So that's a that would be that that would definitely be my hope that uh, our defensive MVP is on the defensive line. All right, so 
this is kind of a polarizing question, I think, uh, to some people. What is considered a successful season for UCF in its first Big 12 season? Jason? You're on mute. I'm sorry about that. Yes, sir. Uh, it's interesting. You know, Gus Alon and the coaches aren't afraid to say their goals to win the Big 12, um, which should be the goal. I think if your coach isn't wanting to win a conference title, then there should be some questions about that. Um, I don't think he's just going to win the conference championship this year. Maybe there are some fans saying shame on you, but uh, just thinking realistically, I think what you should consider success this year is finishing best among the newcomers. And that probably means making a bowl game, which I think is an important piece of the year one success. Um, but I think if you can finish best among the newcomers, you're probably pretty happy with that. And you're probably going to a bowl game. So that's, that's what I consider success. Obviously there are levels of success, but um for me personally, that's, that's where I think if UCF is um, above the other three schools in the Big 12, I think that's, that's going to be big for them. Yeah, you know, and you look at Cincinnati, he's going to be a different team now with Luke Fickle gone, and Houston will have a new quarterback. So there's good opportunity for that to happen, too. So there you go. Eric? I think success is get to a bowl game. With a winning, you know, preferably with you know seven and five, eight and four, I think that would be a success. Obviously, anything better is great. Uh, I made this reference on the show Adam referred to earlier there that if you you play bowl games with a pop tart, if 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 me and Brandon are hanging out on a sideline in December in Orlando having some pop tarts from the Pop Tart Bowl there, now that's called a Campy World, where Beatty can swing by from the Amway Center and say hello. I don't know if Adam would drive or not, but that's the that's a that's one of the Big Twelve bowl games now. Is Orlando against the ACC? I've covered that bowl game many a time, so that would be a success if you get to a quality bowl game like that uh, and have a, a good season. And I think it's important for them to have a good season. You know, we've talked. You know, and Brandon and Jason have done a great job, and Brandon in particular has covered all this from the recruiting angle and how fantastic they're recruiting. But you got to produce it on the field, and I think. You want to build that, continue that momentum by having a good year. We know it's a challenging schedule and things could go wrong, but uh, uh, boy, if this team has a bad year, you're going to hear it from a lot of people. Like, you see, what did we tell you guys? It's a little different at this level. So um, to me, that's the success. Get to that bowl game in Orlando or better uh, with a you know, a winning season, I think would be a success to go to the bowl game, considering the schedule they had. I think if UCF had to do it, if they knew what was coming and tell the future that they were going to be in the Big 12 this year, they probably don't schedule the Boise State game on the road uh, because of travel. I mean, they're going to travel a ton. So this is a challenging schedule overall. So I think 7-5 and five and 8-4 and four would be very successful. I know people will disagree with that, in particular uh, someone that Adam does a weekly show with on a pod <laughs> would apparently – it flips out anytime somebody would suggest that this, we could lose a game or two. But Eric, I, I leave, think that leave, would be, leave Trace out of this. Fair. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't be talking behind him. Uh, <laughs> so I think that would be a successful year if we're all hanging out in Orlando in the bowl game, having some Pop-Tarts from the bowl uh, committee there. All right, Brandon, you in favor of the Pop-Tarts? You know, uh, yeah, I, I personally would be in favor of that, but I, I just wonder if that's even going to be a realistic possibility. You know, we talk about, you know, there's obviously we're all talking about the TDT and the tourist development tax and and, you know, the whole goal of, of those bowl games is to bring in, you know, tourists from outside Orlando to fill up hotel rooms and economic impact and all those studies and stuff. So I kind of wonder if it's it's kind of a little competition right now between, you know, Camping World, Florida Citrus Sports Group and 
UCF and and everyone wants a, a chunk of that TDT and and what's what's UCF if they're in that bowl game? I mean, there's some people that live outside Orlando, but it's it's not going to fill up that many hotel rooms versus like say if it's like you know Kansas State or Iowa State, you know whoever. You know they're they're gonna they're gonna come to Central Florida and go to the theme parks and and stay in the hotels that I'm not sure UCF fans would. So to that end, I was thinking about that today. Like, how realistic is that bowl game? Should we if, if UCF is going to a bowl, is it going to be the Liberty Bowl or the Independence Bowl? There was some like I was I forgot was ESPN. I saw something they had UCF predicted to go to one of those Phoenix bowl games. <laughs> you know that was where it is. So I don't know. But 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 to your point, to the original question, what would be considered a successful year? I totally agree with that. Would be reaching a, a bowl game. Although, you know, I think that's on the very low end. I think just, you know, I, I think, I think UCF and, you know, as others have, have stated, you know, their aspirations are, are much grander than that. It's not just make a bowl game. It's like six and six and just, you know, sneak into some sort of postseason. Um, you know, they have their eyes set on, on the big 12 championship. I mean, we'll see if that's a realistic goal or not. Obviously the early part of the conference season Will, will tell us a lot, but the thing about it now is, you know, we're kind of in a different territory, a different dynamic where UCF and the American, you had to pretty much, you know, if you want to be in that mix for New Year's six or whatever, you got to win. You like, you got to win every game pretty much. You got to, you got to go, you know, close, got to go undefeated or, or very close to it. And, uh, and UCF's in a position now where, you know, uh, it's, it's okay to, to, to lose a game. I mean, I know that's, that's, you know, you don't, you don't want to go what crazy with it, but it's okay to lose a game because you're, you, if, if you, if you re, if you rebound, you can still be in, a, in an excellent shot to, to do something. But early on, we'll know because that schedule is very front loaded. You know, I mean, you start off at Kansas State, you know, the defending Big 12 champion. You got Baylor at home. You've got, you got to go on the road to Kansas State. You've got Oklahoma. Um, there's some games you'll know, right? You know, I, I'm not going to say that the second half of the schedule is easy but i i think it's a little bit more manageable when you look at you've got you know cincinnati and west virginia and houston and you know some teams that you know i feel like ucf should have an advantage against i mean we'll see how it all plays out you know but uh you know you got oklahoma state in there too but you know i i we'll, we'll have a pretty pretty good idea but yeah, i'd say successful obviously is making a bowl game um you know i i haven't really I'm going to come up with my season record prediction soon. I haven't made a final decision on that, but you know, I, I think this is a team that if all goes well, if all goes right, John rise has the year that everyone's hoping that he has, he stays healthy. The team as a whole stays large, stays largely healthy. I think it's a team that has a chance. Now this is maybe it's me drinking the, the Kool-Aid or being the biggest UCF home where there is. I think there's a chance this team can win 10 games. That's a, all right. So our early our, our 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 early leader for bold prediction coming from from Brandon there. Uh, and by the way, if they go to the Pop Tart Bowl, I'll help the economy. I'll go stay at a five star in town just to help out there. So we can do that, Adam. Yeah, it's really tough when you put the word season record, reasonable, and sons of UCF all in the same sentence. Uh, that typically isn't a strength of, of our particular program. Uh, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, not trying to, um, disappoint my, my friend UCF Mike here, but I agree with Brandon. I think the absolute ceiling or absolute floor for this is, is bowl game. I think that's the absolute floor. I think that that has to be that. I, I'm, I'm doing zero empirical research, but here's the way I'm looking at this, right? By the time we play Oklahoma, that'll be our seventh, uh, conference game. 
uh, November 11th, three games to go. I want to still be mathematically eligible for a championship bowl game berth by that point. To me, that's that's a success. I'm not saying we go to the championship game. We may lose those last three games. We may stub our tail. We may be only mathematically alive if cats and dogs fall out of the sky. But come that game, I want to at least have some sort of mathematical chance to be able to play for the Big 12 championship game. And to me, if we're there that late in the season, I'll call it a success. Now, we could blow all those three games and all of a sudden have a terrible record. But I, I think if we're there and we're still in this thing down down the stretch a little bit, um, I'll call it a success. And to Brandon's point, I think we'll learn from that. We'll figure out how to how to adjust and maybe even ascend from that. But that's that's that, that's my 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 floor is bowl game. My great hope is that we're still mathematically alive somewhere down the stretch to potentially sneak into the Big 12 championship game. You know, it's interesting you you brought you you bring up the level of competition, right? So, you know, this is no longer the AAC. This is a whole different level of competition we're playing for a conference schedule. And then the thing that I believe Eric alluded to earlier, travel is a big impact this season. You know, we're going to be traveling much more than we ever have. And it'll be interesting to see what impact that is going to have on, on the team this year. So, you know, I I definitely would agree the the the, the floor is a bowl game. Um, it, to, to the point that I think Eric was making a few minutes ago in terms of how important this season is for momentum. I know we're laser focused on this moment this year and how it's going to be like and what it's going to be like to play these teams and how's UCF going to do. But there's a lot of of seniors. There's a lot of players that are out of eligibility after this year. Mm-hmm. You know, the starting quarterback John Rice is one of them. That that defensive line. You know, a lot of those guys are going to be uh, moving on. You know, Jason Johnson's not. You know, he hasn't even any more years of eligibility. Those receivers, Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson, I think each technically might have one year left. But those guys, they want to do everything they can to get to the NFL and to the next level. So. You know, RJ Harvey's the same way. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are going to be playing this year like it's their last. And so from a recruiting standpoint, you know, obviously UCF high school recruiting has been, you know, been great, but they're going to have to hit the portal. I mean, like they want to have a, a season to show that they're on the upswing in this Big 12. You know, next year's big. You know, you're going to go on the road and play Florida. And that's the game that everyone's circled on their calendar. And and right now we don't know who that quarterback's going to be. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff that's going to, you know, next next offseason might be more interesting in some respects, you know, in terms of just roster management and putting everything together than this past past one was. But it's 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 gonna be big and, and you wanna have that but you wanna have the buzz of being in the mix, like to Adam's point. And that's one thing I thought about too. If you can enter that final month of November being mathematically in the you know, if you want to get to that Texas Tech game, you know, a lot of people are you know, Texas Tech is a kind of that that sleeper team that a lot of people think, you know, beyond Texas or whoever you know, could be in, in the hunt. You you want that game to mean something, you know, that next to last w- a weekend in, in Lubbock, Texas. And so I, I think if UCF can kind of show that, you know, that they're going to be a major player in this big, 12, of course, then, you know, the next year is going to have Utah, and Arizona State, Colorado, all these teams are going to be coming in. But it's an important year for UCF and Gus Malzahn because, you know, I, I will have to see how the numbers work with scholarships under their signing a bigger high school class than they usually do but but it's it's going to be a big season to kind of replenish everything for 2024 yeah so what you're also saying too is the impact is okay the winning will help the branding right you know because you know that's that's kind of a key element in all this you know yeah, is that yeah. you, you know, ucf first season of big 12 you know they 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 rattled the cage a little bit 
you know, that's yeah, I mean, which sometimes with <laughs> this, you know, NIL stuff, you know, I don't know. Sometimes every, this matters as much because some of this NIL things, it's like, it's all that matters is what the collective is offering you. But yeah, you want to have a season, you want to recruit a quarterback. Like I said, I don't know if, if it's Dylan risk, it's Timmy McLean. I mean, I don't, I, right now I, I would tend to think, you know, next year's starting quarterback is not yet on this roster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to have the buzz of, you know, that's going to help, help you recruit as well. You're looking for another, maybe another John Rice type, you know, someone that it's not necessarily about, you know, the money or the NIL, they want to come and play and, and win. And, you know, they just, they just kind of want to be pl- plug and play and, you know, know they're going to have players around them and you can do that a lot easier if you feel like you're, you're on, you're on the up, upswing and you've, you've proven, you know, they talk about, you know, everyone comes up with these lists and tiers and big game boomer. Well, all these things I've been seeing on Twitter about who's going to be, you know, the upper echelon of the new big 12 and everyone's saying UCF is going to be right up there. Like, this is a good, good year to, to, to actually prove it. Yeah. Even though it's just, just year one. Yes. And I can always count on you for recruiting. So that's <laughs> you, you. You hit the you hit that right on the right. I saw on the a lot of nodding from Beatty too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree with Brandon. I don't think the starting quarterback for next year on the roster. But that's just my take as someone who's departing the beat. <laughs> <laughs> I can say those things. I have some wiggle room. Yes, yes. Well, speaking of that, so our next question: all that Jason knows is coming. Um, since Jason is going to be heading over to uh, cover the Orlando Magic as their beat writer. It's already started, as a matter of fact. Um, So our question to the rest of the panel is, what is your favorite memory of Jason Beatty during his time covering UCF football? Adam? Yeah, I'm probably at a disadvantage. I don't think I've ever even met Jason in person. Uh, and so I'm at a disadvantage to the other guys on the screen. But I'll just say this. When, you know, we started this little rinky-dink podcast outfit and we were trying to figure out how a way to make it work, out of the blue, I DM Jason and just said, hey, would you come on the show? And within like 10 minutes, he up like, yeah, sure. What time do you need me? And came on the show show and and gave us like an hour of his time and then you know would could come on whenever he asked him to would always support us send his dms on stuff hit me in the dms if there was a really good interview so he had no reason to be nice to me he didn't know me i wasn't i'm not a name in, in the media space he had no reason to be nice to me and to to give me his time but uh he always did that and uh, i always appreciate the way he represented ucf he never got himself any controversy he was never a clickbait guy he was never somebody that was going out looking for headlines and trying to you know, become a, a Paul Feinbaum in this world. So uh, I, I'm just glad that he was he was gracious with his time with us. Uh, and I'm really glad that uh, that we share a degree from the same school. And I can't wait to watch him cover basketball. And hopefully he'll, you know, he'll be nice one day because, you know, Brandon said reporters get tickets. If he gets a <laughs> heat tickets for the playoffs, I'll uh, I'll make sure I, I hit Jason up for some tickets, man. But uh, I can't wait to watch what you do with the, with the Magic Beat, Jason. It's going to be really weird, like turn on an NBT, NBA TV one night and there's Jason Beatty you know, being interviewed in the hallway of uh, the Comcast Center in Philadelphia. But uh, I know I'm really proud for you, man. Really excited for you. Brandon. Yeah, I, it, it's kind of funny because I, I sort of feel like I've seen Jason grow up. I mean, we've been talking and we've been friends since pro- probably your freshman year, I feel like. And and at first yeah, I feel like you were in, into photography and you were helping out, helping out Juan at nights 247 and we'd be on the field a lot. And so we'd be talking to each other and about UCF and and then you know your role enhanced and increased and you know you were more than just a photographer you were really good you know you were a really good writer you were really good at your interviewing skills you know it's one of those things where you know and then obviously you know then you were able to to parlay that into for the Orlando Sentinel 
is that I like I completely forgot how young you really still are, you know, because <laughs> it's one of those things I feel, you know, I, I've known you your entire college career. I've known you in your post-college career and, you know, you're, 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 you're one of our peers and it just feels like, it feels like you're in your third. I know you're not in your thirties, but it just feels like you've been covering UCF forever. And, uh, it just, it's just been a blast kind of watching your growth and, and just, you know, how I guess you were kind of this young boy, you know, from Key West and, you know, talking about your background there. And, and I always loved kind of, you know, picking your brain and hearing about your experiences. You're on the swim team and you tell me about all the, you know, Key West football players that came out of there and all that stuff and just kind of see you grow up and into to the man you are now. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm not sure we'll still see each other. I know you're not going to be completely, you know, foreign from UCF while you're busy with the magic, but uh, I'm extremely, extremely proud of you um and everything and, and just it's, it's it's been awesome just kind of watching this this journey of yours yeah and jason relish being called young for as long as you can <laughs> eric well i i think with jason you have to when you talk about him covering ucf you can't just say just strictly to football i mean he took the beat of the orlando center and covered it but how it was supposed to be and that covered everything ucf related whether it be what goes on with football on the field what goes on with football off the field he would interview guys like Terry Mahajer, but he was also at all the events. He was at UCF basketball. He was in stores, Connecticut for women's basketball when they're in the NCAA tournament. He was at the softball regionals in Orlando when UCF hosted. He was in Tallahassee for the softball regionals this past year. So he committed to covering UCF athletics as the beat writer in the Sentinel. You know, and Brandon, obviously I mentioned earlier, has been this for 22 years. Him and I have talked for many years. Every time there's a different Orlando Sentinel UCF beat person, and we're kind of like, uh, is this person going to be invested in UCF? Are they going to cover it? And Jason was 100% uh, committed. I think people generally enjoyed it. Um, you know, and Brandon can chime in. I mean, Paul Tenario was another one that was fantastic. And he's gone on to do great things with the MLS as one of the lead, beat, you know, guys in covering soccer as a whole. I think Jason's headed to that same direction with the Magic. When you think of the Magic beat writer role in the set, no, that is his prime of a position as it gets going back to brian schmitz and tim poftak to josh robbins and the list Barry goes Cooper. on and on yeah good right yeah that is that's a big deal nobody just gets handed that role and i think he's gonna hit big on that i hope for his sake the magic uh up get improved and get to some meaningful games so he can get that exposure that adam's talking about on nba tv because he certainly deserves that uh, and I'm certainly excited for him on that opportunity to loss for UCF fans from the standpoint of the coverage because he did, a, like I said, an in-depth, fantastic job. And he wasn't shy about covering UCF stuff that maybe wasn't the most positive either, which is not easy to do as well. So I, I have the utmost uh, respect and admiration. I'm just excited for him, and uh, I look forward to crossing paths with him at a Magic game or two there. And to your point, Eric, I talk about, you know, you mentioned Paul Tenorio when you look at, you know, I've been around for a while, so I, I've known all the – kind of beat writers that, that you know this signal has had guess dating back to the late 90s and UCF fans are, are kind of they can be kind of mean and kind of you know towards the Orlando no. signal they can be kind of nitpicky and you know you didn't cover this or you know a headline was this you know how come you know the Gators were in this topic you know, so it's always been an ongoing thing right but everyone grew to love Paul Tenorio and everyone loved Jace, Jason Beatty. like I don't think any fans ever 
you know, had any negative or, you know, they've been petty. Like, give me some of these other beat writers. I mean, you know, they probably didn't deserve some of the stuff they got, but, uh, but the fan base, because they knew where BD came from. I mean, you know, he was going to be fair and impartial, but, you know, they knew he was a UCF alum and his heart is in the right place. And he obviously did a, gr- a great job. That really didn't matter. He could have been alum from anywhere else. He was going to do the job the exact same way. But, but think about Jason, everyone loved him. And I'm sure as, the Orlando Magic fan community gets to know him better. If maybe they weren't UCF fans, I'm sure they'll they'll love him the same way the UCF fan base did. Yeah. So, Jason, before I let you chime in, so I will I'll first I'll echo Adam's statement because uh, same same with me. You know, my meager little podcast, and I reach out to you, and yep, I'll be happy to come on. And you've come on every time I ever asked. I always always greatly appreciated that. And then. I'm also kind of mad about this because I feel like you've elevated UCF coverage to such an extent now. And I will go on record saying this, even though he's a very experienced college football writer, Matt Burchell has big shoes to fill as far as I'm concerned in covering UCF sports. So all I can say is, man, you've done such a great job and we appreciate all the work you've done. And now we will turn it to you and you can kind of give us your favorite memory or memories as much as you want since uh, since we've roasted you here for for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember the first ever UCF question I asked at a press conference. Um, and that was like a really big thing because I was just a freshman photographer and didn't really know a lot of people at that time or whatnot. And in retrospect, I remember a- afterwards, I think Brandon and, and this is when Shannon Green was on the beat and Juan and like that was after the last home game when it was really controversial about McKenzie and Justin Holman. I asked, you can go back and watch the video. Like right before I asked the question, there was something, some heated question about the quarterback and, and Scott was like really upset. And I asked him, my, my very first question was something along the lines of like, just it's just such a softball question, right? I mean, I wasn't going to ask him crazy, crazy question, but the first question I ever asked was, um, "What was some of your favorite memories you made your first year at the home games as a head coach?" And then I remember after the press conference, a bunch of reporters, you know, who I knew at the time, just still growing the beat, they were just kind of like, "Thanks for like cooling things off," you know. So that was one of my first memories I have, you know, really. Um, you know, asking questions in the press conference and whatnot. But obviously, you know, I was lucky to be around 2017, go to the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, I was, I was at not just that Peach Bowl game, but, um, you know, the Fiesta Bowl and, and Taj McGowan's big run. And, uh, just so many great moments on the field. I was at UCF Duke. I was in Storch, Connecticut. I was, you know, I really got to be around, um, you know, a lot of really great moments. Uh, in UCF athletics history, and I was lucky to cover those moments. And uh, as Eric said, there's been a lot of off-field stuff that I've covered as well. So um, I just think the relationship I had with people inside UCF, you know, past presidents and, and past ADs and, uh, and the current administration as well, um, you know, they, they respected me and I respected them and they knew the job I had to do. And, um, you know, it was just great to, you know, it really amplified I think a lot of people ask me when I made the jump from 24-7 to the Sentinel, like what that was like. And I think this past year, especially more and more people started to recognize. Uh, I think being around Brandon on the sidelines, he would take photos of fans in the stands and, you know, send them. And I wasn't at that level, but it got to a point where, you know, I would, I would be leaving, uh, you know, Memphis after Mikey King started the game. And people were, as I was walking on the plane, people would ask me who's starting next week. 
And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just trying to get home, you know? So, um, you know, it, it, it obviously grew, and I think UCF fans are going to really miss me. But I told Gus, I'm not, like, I still live in Orlando. I still uh, am going to be a supporter of UCF, and uh, I'm, I might be at the Kent State game. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I'm excited to see how UCF does in the Big 12. And, um, no, but it, it's been absolutely a pleasure to know you guys work alongside you guys and come on your different shows and, and, and develop a really strong relationship with a lot of you. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been, uh, really great. And, and I'm still going to be around UCF a ton. So, uh, I won't be gone. You could be a fanboy, right? So, you know, it's, <laughs> You know, uh, and how many not, times? Not too much. I mean, yeah. there's always going to be a look. Yeah. I, I've only been off the beat for a month and a half, and I've already been back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, life happens. Life, yeah. life happens. Yeah. You just never know what's going to happen, where life's going to take you. So I can't, I can't fanboy too much. But obviously, I think everyone involved knows when I'm, when I'm having a recorder in my hand or a notebook in my hand, I'm going to be, you know, down the middle as much as possible. So, uh, but yes, it is exciting to be able to, you know, I, I, I did go to school, I did graduate, and I'm, I'm a proud, UCF alum and whatnot. So um, it is exciting to, you know, I've heard, I've talked to other, I've talked to other people who've left the beat and, and left sports media altogether, uh, you know, watching the game and, and being able to express yourself. I mean, you go from sitting in the quiet, uh, you know, a press box to now being able to react to things as, as ever you wish. So uh, that's exciting for me. And um, I'm just really thankful. And it's really been a great journey so far. How many times have you had to tell people reporters don't write the headlines? <laughs> well, well, I've had that experience uh, uh, for good and bad. I mean, it, it, the fastest way to piss off a UCF fan is say Golden Knight. <laughs> and there was one time, I think it was this past season, someone uh, not on our staff, but if, to get to a long story short, we don't write all of the headlines sometimes. We have at the Sentinel people in Chicago that put the pages together, yep. and that's the whole But somehow some way golden got on there and my inbox was filled with emails for things and i'm like do you guys really think i would write that headline and it's just it's from an outside perspective i understand why it looks like i always write all the headlines but uh you know that's that's actually one of the things i want to improve on is writing headlines but um that's i do get asked a lot about headlines both good and bad um and I, that's one skill i want to get better at for sure okay so what are you looking forward to most uh, moving to your new beat? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. I think obviously I want the Magic to do well and, and you know make the playoffs this year. I think they have a really special team. Um, just being around this league, this M- the NBA, is, is just a, such a special opportunity. Um, you know, I think I was on Brandon Kravitz's show a few weeks ago talking about this chance, and it, I, it was never boring covering UCF, but I just got really comfortable. And, and now that I've been on the Magic beat for about a month and a half, almost two months now, I'm starting to get a little bit comfortable, but I wouldn't have, I'm about as uncomfortable as I have been in a long time. And, and that was something I wanted to challenge myself with, um, you know, switching things up and, and pushing it to the extreme and, um, you know, working with, with, the, with new coaches and new players and whatnot. And I had a chance to go to summer league and get the first taste of that, but I'm just really excited for the, for the schedule. Uh, we just got, I'm excited to, for the season to start. Um, and just just experience new things and, and grow as a journalist and grow as a reporter and um you know just just to see where it takes me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll let you start off our uh, shameless plugs portion. So, for your coverage of the Orlando Magic, let us let let the audience know how they get that from you. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at the real BD. 
course, OrlandoSentinel.com. We have a special magic section. Uh, I will also plug on over this weekend on Sunday, we have our football preview tab coming out, which um, I had some of my UCF work. Some of the last UCF stories I wrote are in that uh, tab and we put a lot of hard work into it. So that should be a lot of uh, great reading to do for UCF fans. And then there's also other content in there, but um, OrlandoSentinel.com. I think Matt Michelle is going to do a great job. I think he's really excited for this opportunity. I mean, it is a power five beat writing opportunity, which uh, doesn't come around too often at, at the Orlando Sentinel. So uh, it's it's just a great job. He's going to do a great job on his beat, and um, I'm excited to see how he does and how UCF does. Outstanding. Eric? Well, I will, uh, you can follow me at, uh, of course, Eric Lopez. Elon, all your social medias. I still write on blackandgoldbanneret.com. With you. I'll obviously cover all the UCF sports there. Uh, I do a little podcast uh, there, and as well as a podcast now with Around the Kingdom with Trace Trelko and the aforementioned Adam Eaton, who I now pretty much see every day for the rest of our lives. There, he's the, he's the executive producer of the show. I would, but prior to this week, I would have called him the Lee Fitting of UCF content, but uh, <laughs> that's not really a good term to bring up nowadays. Maybe next week, well, I have a feeling the three of us will discuss that topic. But uh, Around the Kingdom, a 30-minute show, fastest UCF show uh, on the Sons of UCF podcast feeds, which Adam can tell you more about. And then I'll be calling some UCF sports on ESPN+. Plus. Be calling the first home stand of the UCF volleyball season, August 31st, the Jenny Maurer era. We'll begin against FIU at noon prior to the football opener. I'll be calling a couple of men's soccer games, including one in the Sunbelt Conference, which is a whole it's something to get used to there. And then obviously in the spring, we'll get ready for my 18th season of uh, UCF softball, among other things. So a lot of different hats as usual, but uh, always fun uh, to, to wear as many hats. The hardest working man in show business. Brandon. Yeah, well, um, I can always be found at UCFSports.com. Uh, the Dungeon Message Board has kind of been my 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 baby for a long time. I'm on Twitter, although I, I probably don't. I, obviously, I'm kind of lackadaisical with other social media. I kind of just kind of do the minimal on Twitter. Maybe I'll ramp that up. But uh, UCFSports.com and uh, is where I've always been found for 20 plus years. And Adam. I'm responsible for wrangling all the things that are sons of UCF. Uh, that includes a, a podcast. That's a live show. Eric mentioned around the kingdom. Uh, you can find all that stuff on our YouTube channel. Just search sons of UCF. Uh, we also do uh, the podcast. All that stuff's on audio. Just your favorite podcast player. Type in sons of UCF. We'll be right there for you. And uh, all the socials, X, Twitter, whatever we're calling that, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can find us at sons of UCF. Yes, and uh, you and Eric will be back on this show next week as we plug our doing our media spotlight show as we go into football season. So uh, there's my shameless plug for for the proceedings. Uh, well, guys, you're number five of doing this roundtable. Always appreciate it, and uh, great job as always. Thanks for being on. Always a pleasure Thank to be you. on. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Charge on. All right, a couple of quick notes before we get out of here this week. First, I want to make a shout-out to uh, Andrew Fagley, Nightline Sports Network. Uh, They will no longer be doing uh, Nightline, the podcast, and, of course, my former AAC show. But I wanted to uh, give a shout-out to Andrew. Thank him for the opportunity to do that over the last several years, covering the American Athletic Conference for the Nightline Sports Network. I am also happy to announce that I will be joining the Sons of UCF. That's right. Adam Eaton, Trace Trilco, UCF Mike and company, and of course, uh, Elo Eric Lopez, a part of the, the 
proceedings that go along with the, the Sons of UCF. I will be doing the Big 12 Minute during the Sons of UCF live show, mostly on Thursday nights. The debut show that I will be on will be Wednesday the 30th. That's next week, right before UCF's home opener against Kent State on the 31st. So I'm so delighted to be joining the guys uh, once again, uh, getting to reunite with them uh, from previous experience. So I am looking so much forward to that. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.